first question. This person talks about working with people who suffered major trauma, for example, war or rape, where the feeling of extreme terror is involved and often pushed into the body, into a safe place, not to be felt. So in other words, person experiences some violation. So that that shock impression is then shoved into the body and closed down. And I'm not sure you're familiar with this, but this is now understood to be what, what occurs for people. They basically thing shut down and the nervous system kind of cuts it out so it don't feel it anymore it's survival but you end up kind of not all there because a bit of you is closed down and this means your, your nervous system is then not properly comfortably operating so you can get quite extremely reactive sudden flushes of rage or fear because your system isn't able to to regulate itself remember regulate itself means go back to steady state normal it can't be it's got a frozen lump in the middle of it. So I assume, the question asks, I assume that going into the body in this way risks revisiting the terror. So how to do this in a way that doesn't re-traumatize? Well, yeah, I think uh, you can't underestimate the value of a, a fellow human being helping one with this experience because we're not really contained within the body exactly. We do sense atmospheres around us, right? And the most powerful thing we experience around us is the presence of other people. So if you have somebody who is stable, grounded, open, kindly, right there, then your system can pick up that signal, that that influence. And that acts like somebody holding your hand as you're walking down a slippery staircase. Yeah? So you, you feel comforted because somebody's holding your hand as you're going down this rather rickety, slippery staircase. You know? So that's the presence of the compassionate and grounded other. And that helps person to be able to go into their thing without getting sucked into it. Nature of trauma, it's almost like it's got a suction to it, whereby your energies get pulled into these difficult areas and then you find yourself flooded and overwhelmed with terror or rage or something like that, which are all, you know, the, the stuck energy has an emotional sign to it. So not so easy to do on your own. Possible, if it's not too bad, possible if you can maintain, but essentially you have to maintain or access healthy, grounded presence embodied presence isn't something you can just witness it's not going to go away that way and likelihood is you you won't witness it it will be all closed down so you're going to have that healthy embodied presence either your own or somebody else's or both of you together to kind of walk you through these areas now even in going through these areas it's liable that these areas will begin to activate you know they were kind of frozen down fear and terror. So when they melt, what comes out? A little bit of fear and terror. Hmm? If that occurs, you've got to be able to hold the ground, hold the steadiness while that is happening. So this is why we do need that resilience and steady embodied presence to, to, to hold while we go through some sort of shock things. The example that's sometimes used is of a, antelope or gazelle 
on the savannah and as lions are chasing them or you know and naturally when the lions chasing you 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 run crazy you run 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 you and then maybe the lions catches up with you and then basically the animal just kind of collapses it basically its nervous system cuts out so it won't feel the pain of being eaten but if it's a fortunate animal and the lion for some reason or doesn't eat it thinks it's dead or misses it or you know the creature kind of comes to and, and then it gets up and it shakes itself vigorously it's like all the fear has to come out of the system before it can regulate it so this is the kind of thing hap can happen for people when they come out there's a little bit of painful memory but okay you know so sometimes you need to help with that nothing's going wrong that stuff coming out is what's supposed to happen not supposed to close it down and feel cheerful supposed to let it out and then after the system has regained balance then you start to feel cheerful but it's not cheerful when it's happening <laughs> you know after then it starts to brighten up after the storm has passed mm -hmm. so somebody else asked a similar question someone's afraid to close their eyes and feel the body or breath how do we gently coax them into doing this well you may ask if you can hold their hand that feels right or get them to make a sound when they breathe out because sound is something we also we also need sound particularly we need the sound of voice absolutely essential for little ones to grow up to hear the sound of a voice it's i don't know it's an atmosphere in its own right environment in its own right the sound of the voice uh, that's why we do chanting because it purifies the system creates an atmosphere of brightness and calm so if you're doing mindfulness of breathing you just kind of breathing out breathing in and breathing out just as seems to fit so you can use sound as something to to uh, generate an atmosphere of steadiness and uh, trust another person another questioner poses a question about putting this into practice in relationships how can you cope with the challenges of keeping your core presence with others and returning home to yourself notice when you strayed from the path especially if you have a close relationship colleagues who aren't spiritual and they have an emotional profile drivenness that can have a rub a friction with others um well this is what right speech is about if you're with other people just not just what's said but the way it's said steady tonal voice of, you know, that encourages pausing can we talk about this is so you know rather than let's move on just lingering in this talking about this how is it now uh, 
you know, something that helps to negotiate the contact. I really want to hear what you're saying fully, so can we take this a little bit slowly? So I really get it. Uh, and uh, could you help me with this? This piece you said, could you help me with that? And so it's not argumentative, it's actually encouraging uh, a cooperative relationship that brings out the best in you and the best in them by encouraging each other to maintain our presence with each other rather than just go off into who's right and who's wrong topics because everybody's right and everybody's wrong yeah you know so it's an invalid judgment right and wrong (laughs) rather in harmony or not in harmony that's what counts. Relationship between energy, intention and karma is another question. Person asks for a little more discussion on that topic, energy, intention and karma. Mm. Well, let's start with intention. Mm. Intention is... The English word isn't very good. It means the movement of interest, the inclination of interest, the, incl- the sort of like the arising of energy to activate. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's, oh, get rid of that. So, oh, it's something where the energy rises to a decisive action, to form a decisive action. So, you you know, you can be unoccupied, most people are always occupied with something and then oh that's interesting and energy picks up directs itself attention focuses on that thing and then activation occurs and then we decide some sort of decisive action occurs which could be a thought i don't just mean physical action it could be we start thinking about something or we start talking about it that decisive action where one has been in kind of mm-hmm, and then locked engage and then act that's called karma so intention is the the channel or the connector between first of all contact something is noticed and action something is noticed and felt and some kind of action now what links the two is intention intention could be contact has happened whoops disengage <laughs> that's an intention Contact has happened, block it, that's an intention. Contact has happened, go somewhere else. Contact has happened, go with it. Those are different kinds of it. So that's what we call intention. Energy shifts and the mind is shaped by that quality. It's shaped into, um, you know, from being open and broad into being focused. So it shapes itself as it goes into action. It means when we take decisive action, it means certain things disappear. You know, when we decide upon doing this, other things are blotted out or not noticed as we're doing this. So, you know, there, so there's always a sense of you gain this, but you lose this. And maybe this isn't very important, what's happening, you know somebody's doing this, somebody's talking about that, doesn't really matter because I want to focus on this. 
form. But then notice those intentions that um, have an ethical basis, the intentions based upon, say, compassion or goodwill, or intentions based upon ill will, intentions based upon um, distraction, intentions based upon clarity. Yeah. So naturally we're trying to foster skillful intentions so that the karma is skillful. Yeah. So the long story is the karma, which means the repeated intentions, the repeated ethical qualities, they're repeated, so they become established. These shape you. You know, you are moulded by karma. So you become a compassionate person or a frightened person or an impulsive person because of the actions. Your mind has been shaped in that particular path and that particular trajectory many times. So that becomes the dominant moderator of your personality. Dominant, but never absolute. Otherwise there'd be no liberation. So we may very well have had all kinds of foolish intentions not really recognising it, because it's not always that clear. You know, it can be impulsive intentions. It's not always entirely clear. Sometimes we're foggy. So, you know, sometimes we are clear, but we don't care anyway. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Uh, so then, you know, about 10 years down the line, you think, hey, that's not so good, you know. <laughs> and then you've got all this habit you've got to work with, right? But you think, oh, no, I'm just completely stupid, stupid. No, you're not completely. You're just, just 90% stupid, that's all. <laughs> so you just work on the 10% and keep, you know, increasing it. And it gradually you can change the balance to being you know, like, uh, more more of the good. So it's never 100%. <laughs> the fact that we can even notice at all is our saving grace, that we can say, oh, God, this, that was a bit of a mess. Right, well, what notice that? We have a core, we do have a sense of conscience and wisdom innate, and it comes in sometimes a little bit late, but it comes in and it says, you know, this is not good, and you've got a lot of habit that way, but we start moving in another direction and gradually the balance changes, the energy changes. It doesn't go down those tracks anymore. It doesn't go into those intentions anymore. And over, you know, 10 years or so, you'll, you'll definitely notice changes. It takes time, but definitely kind of keep, keep those tracks. Um, so it's clearly this, obviously we talk about ethical things, but... You know, um, but also there are compulsive reflexes like fear reflex. We find ourselves constantly activated in fear uh, for one reason or another. We don't decide it; it just happens. Um, and this is where the understanding of karma gets a little more complex because, yes, you are active on the fear, but actually the fear was established by people beating you up when you were ten years old. <laughs> So it's, you can't really say it's all your fault, right? So this is particularly the topic when the reactions that you have and the compulsions you have 
and not really because of what you've done, but what's been done to you. So what's been done to you makes you into an aggressive person. Now, still the case that you do the aggression, so you know you have to be shaped by it, but you're aggressive because you know you were abused when you were smaller, you know, or left out. So those we call the the um, things that have been done to us. And the other things are things that haven't been done to us, <laughs> like the listening, the caring, the loving, the nourishing, the supporting hasn't been done to us. So our intentions are rather kind of shaky or or insecure because we haven't had that firm foundation early in our lives. So the energy really doesn't feel confident about moving out. And so, you know, it gets quite complex. But really one doesn't have to understand too much all the details of where these reflexes came from. That can be useful and interesting, but actually the main point is to to be able to acknowledge and realise that we can change them, or there can be a change of them, by, you know, patient, steady, checking, pausing on reflexes, asking yourself, is there another way? Check, stop, bring up the good, move that way. It's a little bit slow at first, but that's what you do. And gradually energy will find its way into what supports and makes you blossom. So the person says that they have never experienced the felt sense of being held. Is it possible to begin to know this on your own in meditation? Yes, it is. I've described that. Isn't it these types of wounding need to be healed in relationship? Indeed, but the first relationship is the relationship of your heart to your body or your your mind, your awareness to your uh, predicament. That's the first relationship, which has to be trusting, open um, and steady. Um, Relationships with others can be helpful indeed, but we have to also bear in mind that we're with ourselves 24 hours a day, we're with other people, how many times, three times a week, uh, now and then. Uh, it was great when she was around, but now she's gone. You know, but you're with you 24-7, so this is the primary thing to become skillful with. And certainly the presence of teachers and Kalyanamita can encourage and inspire and model some of these ways of um, of relationship that allow one to, to just relax and know what it's like to be held even for five minutes. <laughs> even for five minutes. Because once that's known, hey, that's what it's like. I don't have to hold myself together all the time. And you, you do it a few times, say, with a trusted friend. Hey, What's it like? Oh, oh, that bit kind of relaxes and that sort of opens up. So your body begins to photograph what it's like to be sane, (laughs) what it's like to feel healthy. 
it begins because it wants to. It definitely wants to. It doesn't want to be, you know, gripped all the time. So what's it like? And it begins, oh, that. And it begins to, you know, if you stay with it carefully and quietly and calmly, it begins to get it and open up that that possibility until you begin to begin to know it more reflexively. Someone's asking about verbal attacks from family members, feeling the negative effects for a few days. How to minimize this type of feeling negative from being attacked by family members. Hmm. Well, yeah, I don't know what else new I have to say, but there are two essential resources. One is spiritual friendship, that's your true family, and uh, breathing through the, the difficulties, um, and you know, the left there. The problem with uh, family problems is that uh, your know, family are the people you can't get away from. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you can, but in a way you can't because they're always, she's always your sister or he's always your father. So there's that natural connection. Um, and so, you know, one has to, in some ways, sort of, Actually, this person isn't behaving like a father. <laughs> Although it's called my father, it isn't actually behaving in a fatherly way. It's behaving in a tyrant way. So you, that's actually not a true family. Uh, and then what does the real father is protector, steady, receptive. And so you begin to, you need, you, we all need that. This person, mother, nourishing, helpful, empathic, this person isn't behaving like a mother. Where is the mother that I need? Bring up that in your mind, cultivate that. When you get this, then these, these signs, these qualities can help to um, bring you back. Well, thank you for the various expressions of gratitude. I'm pleased that this, some of this, these things work for you. It's, it's um, a lot to try to um, you know, get embedded in just a, a day or two. It can take years, actually. So if you're getting some of it in there, that's great. And please do keep the practice going. That would be the best way to express gratitude is continue deepen in it. So a person mentions that the agitation, when the agitation dies down, person tends to feel rather sleepy, mindfulness is reduced. Would you say a few words about how to be with this without going to sleep? Mm. Standing up is good. You, know, you don't go generally don't go to sleep when you stand up. Um, you know, it's true that when, say, one's been overstimulated by an agitated state and that disappears, we do, sometimes we just oof, 
sag a little bit. That's okay, you know. I mean, in a way, that's perhaps normal. When you've been particularly driven, people have been soaked in adrenaline, driven, driven lifestyles, and you manage to turn the tap off, the adrenaline tap off, and the pressure goes down, and you just, ooh, you know. <laughs> and that's kind of okay. Your system is just rebalancing itself. But if you want to be awake to it, then it's good to, say, stand, walk gently, walk up and down gently, or even just recline, but recline in a very focused way, like, you know, with your body either on the back or on the side, focusing on the entire body. So the, the frame of the body essentially will, will be your frame of reference, but it's got to be a, a suitable frame, nothing too subtle, otherwise you won't get it. So some obvious embodiment, like standing, walking, so the sense of the body is quite clear. And let the mind sag a little bit. It's not agreeable, but yeah, well, you get used to being with a disagreeable when you do this kind of practice. It's part of it. So the person suggests that uh, when the legacy of trauma recedes a bit, quality of urgency can change. Because there's less suffering, that's, that's nice, but when I suffer less, then I don't get the same sense of urgency, I feel disoriented. Can you speak to changes in the sense of urgency? Well, I'm glad to hear that, um, you know, suffering is lessening. Mm, that's great. So the urgency is less one of desperation, I might say. Then perhaps, you know, you need to just learn to enjoy. Mm. Because there's also rebuilding, having come out of a, of a wreck, uh, and feeling, oof, coming out of the wreck, naturally one feels disoriented because we've been used to being in a wreck for 20 years, so it's become my home. <laughs> and you drag yourself out of the wreck, you feel a bit like, ooh, what's going on? You know? But then begin to enjoy, yeah, because this helps to rebuild you know, uh, you know, qualities that have not been able to be present when one is in the traumatized state. So we might say, first of all, you know, like, okay, another example, say you have a, a knife wound or an arrow, and the first thing is to get the thing out, get the arrow out, or, um, you know, stop the bleeding, stitch the wound up. Then you've got to get the healthy juice to flow through that, area so it rebuilds, it rebuilds tissues, it rebuilds systems and so on, it rebuilds the tissues. Similarly when you come out of a psychological stress state then rebuilding has to occur. This isn't something you do, I will now rebuild. No, the system we rebuild itself. So this is also important because we're not just surviving in our life, we want to also be joyful in our life and rich in our life. And that will only occur when things are rebuilt. Our enjoyment capacities, our confidence capacities, our capacities to be with others in a fruitful, relaxed way, all those get damaged by traumatic experience. 
Now we may have stopped the damage, but we've got to rebuild those those circuits, if you like, put it crudely. Um, and maybe it's a little more than just meditating. It's also about learning to to be with others, to be creative, to be joyful, and um, you know, exploring body breathing in an interested rather than how do I get out of this way? How do I how do I get out of the damage? Just how do I get into the enjoyment? How does that happen? Because it's necessary. Mm. It's also necessary sometimes just to take a rest and let things be led by what seems where you sense interest is. Seems we misunderstand and misuse the thinking mind. It's great for generating ideas, great for the creative process, but not so much for navigating in the world. I think we don't use it properly. How do we make it useful? It's it's a, a thinking mind. It's good for forming a focus. Bringing something to mind. It's called vitaka. What's that? That's vitaka. Huh? Turn your attention. Hmm? What's that? Because it's much easier to turn your thinking mind than turn your emotions. You can't say, okay, cheer up, be happy. It doesn't happen. But you can say, give attention to that and, oh, oh, now I feel happy. You see, so you can direct it. You can direct thinking, the thinking mind, because it is you know, uh, you you can steer it. If you don't steer it, it steers itself. <laughs> it steers itself more or less in accordance with habits. So you want to steer it consciously rather than let it be steered by old habits into habitual ways of so steering it. So this is called deep attention or careful attention or appropriate attention. Yoni Sikara. You steer it towards something that's useful, helpful, beautiful, encouraging, satisfying, free from blemish, inspiring, soothing, steadying. Steer that thing. Bring it to mind. Bring it to mind. So this is called recollection. And having brought it to mind, linger in it. You know, turn it over. How is that? How is that? How is that? How does it feel? So that, that's meditation, or one aspect of meditation. You can develop that thinking mind into inquiry. So it's a little bit further down that line of, of reflection. It's, well, where do, what is this based upon? When I experience this, what happens in terms of my body? When I experience that, what kind of emotions arise? When I give my attention to that, what kind of mind states arise? When I withdraw attention from that, what mind states arise? So then you begin to really use it as a, you know, like a, a guide. It can't give you the information, it can tell you where to look. And then also it can store up some of the results. Remember, this is to be avoided, so it can, it can freeze dry some of your your field work, the results of your field work. That's using it properly. 
mention when something is stuck that isn't necessarily where the source of it is. Right? So say I'm experiencing, say, some feeling of agitation and my my chest is feeling rather closed and or something or the other. Um, so I'm trying to open up, open up. Or maybe I need to go hold that area carefully and then begin to widen your tension to that uncomfortable area or affected area or agitated area in my body or even in my mind, my heart. What's next to it? You know, what's beneath it, what's around it? So in physiological terms I could say, oh, the diaphragm mm. or the throat or the back. That's all adjacent. And then is there any sense of how they're affected? Oh yeah, there's a slight agitation happening in the diaphragm. And that goes down. Feel it kind of strange enough. It sort of seems to trickle down into my leg, my foot, covering the whole area. And where is it possible for something to gently release without really much any effort? Oh, I realise I don't need to have my foot tense. I relax the foot and then, oh, that's interesting. When I relaxed the foot, I felt something open up, right up my leg and into my belly. Something seemed to open up. There was this gradual release of energy and my chest changed. Something like that. So many, many um, expressions of appreciation to London Insight and also to myself. Thank you. So the question, I'm wondering how all this stuff we've been doing relates to samadhi and exclusive attention to a single object which with powerful and broad background awareness can make jhanas and deep insight possible. Does one deal with emotions first and then concentrate on a single object? Or a bit of the first, a bit of the second, depending what's going on? (laughs) Or is the breath energy itself the object used to collect the mind around once emotions are cleared? Yeah. Mm. Well, what is a single object? What is a single object? Exclusive attention to a single object. So what is a single object? Mm. So, okay, say breathing, that seems to be a single object, but it's not actually. It's a whole uh, flow of discrete phenomena, moving, shifting, warming, changing. So it's a single direction. One is collected around a single theme, but it's not exactly a a fixed object because the object itself is constantly changing. There are actually no such things as objects. <laughs> uh, you know, as finite, they're all all dummers are. They're always just you know 
undergoing change. But if one is aware of that theme, of that particular uh, process, phenomena, shifting, say with the breathing, um, it does connect to or sympathize with all the energies in the body. So it's in a way, it's almost like a microcosm of the body's, body's energy system. So it's sometimes referred to the Kaya Sankara, the body formation, is breathing in and breathing out. In a way, it's, it's the synopsis of it. It's the leader. It's the central guiding theme which all the energies of the body can be contained uh, or, or accessed through that because it doesn't just follow the respiratory tract, it permeates the entire energy system. And that's the way we should uh, consider it and, and sense it. And, and then there is an absorption because you know the system is open and clear and the mind's nature is to absorb. We absorb into books, we absorb into screens, we absorb into conversations. And so it's quite natural to absorb. But here you've got something that is deeply absorptive. It's like you're absorbing into something that's got the nature to, to, to permeate and saturate and cover everything. It's like you're absorbing into something that's like a sponge, you know, because it contains everything. And it also, once you recognise that the body energies, the emotions arise from or in tandem with or as an aspect of or not separate from embodied energies. So where embodied energy is, emotional energy is. The raw material of emotional energy is embodied, right? Call it, you know, adrenaline, dopamine, serotonin, you know, they've got these chemicals, but they didn't didn't have that frame of reference in those days, but they knew that some of the body energy had the raw material, the raw juice that becomes emotion. So if you're with that, then you're also with all the emotional tendencies also in that same weave. So therefore, staying with that, you're dealing with body and heart at the same place. And the experience of that is called rapture. It's joyful and comfort. It's easeful because it's, it's physiological, it's emotional, and it's somatic. Yeah. So essentially, you know, you can stay with the one theme, recognizing it's not exactly physical. It's not purely physiological. It's a kind of blend it's energetic. You see, so you're coming into a, a medium energy that actually covers or is the baseline or is the common common medium for our physiological reflexes and our emotional reflexes, both derived from the same core quality called called energy, you know. So if we focus or steady ourselves or gather ourselves into that, we're dealing with all of these things which can seem so separate, you know, a body's lump of meat and an emotion is not a lump of meat. <laughs> you know, emotion is a kind of sudden flush of energy. No, actually, when you get, if you explore it, they're both 
of that nature. Yeah? As a felt direct experience, the body looks like a lump of meat, and if you, you, if you approach it with a, a device that measures things in terms of meat, it's meat. But if you approach it with a device that measures things in terms of energy, <laughs> it's energy. <laughs> and that's what we're doing. You see, so the problem with science is we think we only can only measure, we define things in terms of the measuring stick. <laughs> they don't fit in the measuring stick, they don't exist. That's the arrogance of science. <laughs> so now we're saying, you know, let, let's get the measuring stick that covers the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, and it's really, your mind does. It's the most perfect measuring stick that we've ever made because it's built in to cover everything. <laughs> everything that happens to us can be covered by our awareness. And your awareness is not limited to symbols and concepts. It doesn't divide things up into you know, him and her, here and there. It's feeling and sensing, whether that's mental feeling or physical feeling. And it's energy, whether it goes into the body or into the mind or into both. So when you stay with that, you don't need to shift around, you just stay with the thing. And naturally you can detect that sense of, oh, it's comfortable, happy, contented, or not happy. And a sense of, okay, steadying, breathing out, trying to trace how that's happening in terms of body experience, or breath experience, or even emotional experience. But, you know, the body has less stories to it, so it makes it a lot easier to trace you start to go into why do I feel this way? It's a long story. Chanting helpful? Yes, chanting is helpful. Obviously, it's partly what we say, but not that much actually. It's you know, it's the it's the voice. It's the sound. It's um, it's the sound. And it's the breath. We chant with our breath, don't we? Deep breath. Your body chants, whereas your mind thinks. You can read the words with your eyes and think it, but you can't chant it like that. You've got to chant it. Your breath. I will abide a pervading one quarter with a heart of loving kindness. <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> okay, you got the sound, you got the, the the timber, you got the voice qualities, you got the flow of breath, and you also it resonates in your body and your and your throat. So it's it's like a kind of subtle massage. And the sound of the voice is so absolutely primal you know the first thing we got maybe when we came out of the womb was a bit of touch and then the sound of a voice the sound of a voice warm sound warm sound mm. when we're in the womb we heard the sound of boom 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 heartbeat everything's okay boom 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 before we got the symbols and the concepts. 
So now you're doing something very, very primary with sounding. Yeah. It's calming, it's steadying, it's brightening, it's, it's incredibly connecting. And when you're chanting, say, you know, sutras or scriptures that have been chanted through five million throats <laughs> over a few thousand years or so at least, you know you're touching into something big, bigger than you, bigger than you know your little locale. You're in the global, resonant spiritual universe, and with these simple resonances of this is about love, this is about clarity, this is about uprightness, this is about integrity, this is about giving, this is about deep wisdom, you know, getting it time and time again. You're getting those messages time and time again, resonating, and you've got something that will counteract the crazy messages that are coming off the screen at you. Eh, free gift, it's Black Friday, go out and spend lots of money. <laughs> it's Christmas, go crazy, get drunk. <laughs> you know, well, she's getting hammered at you, you know, <laughs> how, much, how many times a day? You think, well, you've got something to actually counteract that. And say, so it's timeless, here now, stay where you are. <laughs> so you, it's really helpful. <laughs> uh, okay. Many good wishes. Thank you. Lovely to share time with you in this occasion. There are no more questions of the time being. I'm sure there will be, but after all, life is not just about questions and answers. It's also about enjoyment, friendship and company. And I'm finding that through your, your chats. I'm finding lots of friendship, and enjoyment and company coming through this rather bizarre medium. <laughs> so thank you for your presence and thank you for your, your words. And uh, I'm glad mine have been of some use to you. Uh-huh. <laughs>